Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, now come to you, come into your presence. You know uh, the desires of our heart, Lord. You know what's been on our minds. We're so glad that Jen Reynolds is okay. So glad that Marilyn's on the mend, even going back to work already. For Megan, Lord, our hearts go out to her. God, heal her body. She deals with so much. Lupus, and now this. Comfort them and encourage them, Lord, right now, as they are home. Lord, for for the rest of us here, we have come to be encouraged and to be strengthened in our faith. So, Lord, would you do just that? By your spirit, by your word, would you bolster us today as we seek your face, seek to learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I was learning a little bit about uh, farming this week. Learning about farming, and I was particularly looking at the issue of uh, what it takes to be uh, a wheat farmer. And uh, back in the old days, back in, in old school times in uh, America, but of course it's still some of the methods that are being, ta- that are being used overseas, like in places like Africa and the Middle East, uh, a wheat farmer has a very, very, very difficult job. I mean, first he's got to, uh, to extract that wheat and he's got to start what's called threshing the wheat. Got a little image up here for you to see what it looks like to, to thresh the wheat. And it looks like our, uh, our text did not come through, so that's all right. We're, we're having, there we go. Well, the first one didn't come through, that's okay. But to thresh the wheat, you actually have to take what's called a flail and beat the wheat over and over again. You have to beat it so that the, the chaff and, and, and the grain will slowly, slowly start to, to, to break up a little bit. It'll start to get a little bit more, uh, shall we say, separated, if you will. Manual threshing. This happens uh, for every wheat farmer in uh, third world countries today who, who don't have some of the machinery that we do. But then the second process that they go through is a process called winnowing, where they literally, after they've threshed the grain, they, they take it and they throw it up in the air. And you see there, that's the process of, of separating permanently the grain from the chaff. And so the chaff, because it's lighter, it goes up into the air, and even the slightest breeze will take it away. And so you'll, you'll see there those who, farmers who are winnowing the wheat, they'll lift it up, the chaff will blow away very easily, just the slightest breeze. And the wheat, the grain will, will fall back down because it's heavier, it's weightier course in our modern world uh, we have the luxury in the west of using some of the newest technology farmers today wheat farmers have what's called combines these are those those big machines that we see sometimes out in the fields Uh, Casey and I when we were uh, driving through Idaho a few years back we were seeing you know wheat fields as far as the eye could see and there were combines all over going through and these combines they they both do the process of threshing and winnowing all at once. They, they cut it, they cut the wheat, they scoop it up, they put it in the machine that, that separates it, stock from husk, and then the grain is then guided through grates and filters which thresh and winnow the wheat. The finished grain is dumped automatically into a, a waiting truck which then takes it to be processed. Combines are masterful developments in the farming world but some farmers well some farmers have to but some farmers still prefer the old-fashioned methods of sifting wheat 
with their bare hands. As a matter of fact, there is one who certainly prefers the old-fashioned way of sifting. He doesn't need machines. He likes to do it himself or with the company of his friends. But don't be fooled into thinking that he isn't masterfully efficient at sifting just because he uses old-school methods. His techniques are even more powerful than a combine. And when his friends join in, they can sift better than any modern farmer. The person of whom I speak isn't a farmer at all. He's an adversary. And he isn't sifting wheat. He and his demons are sifting you and me. Today in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that Satan has made you and I his special project. In his eyes, you and I are like his farm, his wheat. And he wants to sift you, to separate you from your union with Christ. The title of the message today from Luke 22 is The Sifting Has Begun. The Sifting Has Begun. Stand with me and let's read from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. And we're going to skip down after a few verses down to verse 54, so stay with me. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know me. Jump down to verse 54. Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at Peter and said, This man, this man was also with him. But Peter denied Jesus, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You, you also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59. Then, about, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. You may be seated. The previous uh, story in Luke that we looked at um, a couple of weeks ago, was a story uh, on greatness. 
on greatness. And uh, we, it concluded that the, the, the story was speaking of the disciples uh, going back and forth over who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven or who was going to be greatest among them in the kingdom. And Jesus had, had quieted them and said, this is, not a, uh, uh, this is not an appropriate discussion for you to be having. But at the same time, Jesus also affirmed to them that each one of those disciples had continued with him in their trials. In other words, Jesus uh, said that this is not an appropriate discussion to be having, but at the same time, I want you all to know that each one of you have done an outstanding job in staying by my side through thick and thin. And now, just moments later in the Gospel of Luke, we have a new vignette between Jesus and Peter in which that perseverance of the disciples, that perseverance of Peter is shown to be imperfect. Not only would Peter desert the Lord, but the Gospels of Matthew and Mark also indicate that all of the disciples would desert him at their darkest hour. Verse 31 again, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Simon, Peter, the leader of the pack. Satan has asked for you. Well, let's be clear. The word you there in our English Bibles looks, it looks from an English standpoint, looks as if uh, Jesus is speaking directly to Peter. And he is. He is speaking to Peter. But in fact, that word is in the plural. In the Greek, we, we have a, a you there that's, that's in the plural. And so in fact, Jesus, who is surrounded by his disciples, is not only directing his conversation to Simon Peter directly, but he's also directing it to the rest of the disciples, saying, Simon, Simon, and then he's looking at them all, and he's saying, indeed, Satan has asked for all of you, that he may sift you as wheat. Wow, think about that for a moment. What a cosmic setting Jesus has just uh, relayed to the disciples. He's just suggested to them, that Satan, the adversary, the enemy of God, that Satan is asking, he's petitioning for Peter and the disciples. He's petitioning God, not unlike what you might read in Job chapter 1 in your Old Testament. He's petitioning God, I want that one. I want these guys. I want these people. Let me have these. Let me go after them. Has the enemy been asking for you? Does he already have you? You'll recall in Pastor Tom's message, he spoke of Satan entering Judas. And Pastor Tom uh, astutely put that it, it wasn't as if Satan you know, took, took over control of the wheel. No, Judas had already laid the pathway for Satan to come right in to walk right in. Satan didn't have to ask for Judas. Judas had already opened the door. Is Satan asking for you? Or have we already opened the door? Satan wants Peter and the disciples, Jesus says, that he may sift them like wheat. 
to sift, to separate chaff from grain, to separate Peter's faithfulness to Jesus, to remove it, to rip it asunder. On earth, wheat has no recourse, right? The wheat is just there. And when the farmer comes, he, he, uh, he can just take the wheat at will. He can take the combine and just mow through the field. The wheat has no recourse. The wheat is completely at the mercy of the farmer. The same is not true when it comes to Satan sifting men and women on earth. We are not merely wheat before him. We are not utterly powerless before him. We are not at Satan's mercy. We have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ, the Savior, who by faith lives within us and always intercedes before the throne of God for us. That's precisely what it says Jesus was doing for Peter. Look at verse 32 again. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Peter, I've prayed for you, disciples. What has he prayed? That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, Peter, strengthen your brethren. Jesus was interceding for Peter and the disciples. Peter in particular, verse 32. He prayed for him. He's praying for us now, according to Romans 8, 34, it's Christ who died, further who is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you and me right now. He is. The enemy is asking for you. That's the cosmic setting that's taking place that we can't see. You know, we look at our physical world and and we often wonder, what am I not seeing? Well, I'll tell you what we're not seeing. We're not seeing the constant petitions of the enemy for you. He's asking for you. And you're not seeing the constant prayers that Jesus is praying before the Father on your behalf. And the Spirit also intercedes in our weakness. Jesus' prayers are powerful. This side of heaven will never know how much Jesus has been praying for us prayers to keep us safe, to remove us from harm or temptation. It's going to be amazing to, to really to enter the kingdom of God one day and for Jesus to, to pull out a book of his prayers for you and for me, saying, this is what I was praying for you all those years. These are, these are some of the answered prayers that you didn't even know about. Of course, our prayers do that too. James says, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When we pray, spiritual shields of protection are erected. Healing and peace goes forth. We prayed for Jen. We prayed fervently in the office for Jen that she would be healed during surgery. And by God's grace, we got a fantastic report. We prayed for Marilyn. We're praying for Megan. God works through prayer. But still, this fallen world is marred by sin. And sometimes when sin overwhelms, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, our prayers begin to wane, don't they? When we lose hope, our prayers begin to wane. Not so with Jesus. 
he continues to pray for us even when he knows we're about to fail him. Look again at verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when, not if, when you have returned, Peter. Well, let's see, to return from somewhere means you've gone. When you've returned, Peter, to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew Simon was about to fail him and it didn't stop Jesus from praying for him. There are times when I stop praying for someone. There are. Uh, it, it's, my, it's my old nature. It's, it's, it's that old nature within me that says, you know, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray that they can be healed. I'm going to pray that they can beat this addiction. I'm going to pray, Lord, that, that, that we can win this battle. And I start praying. And days go by, and weeks go by, and months go by. And then all of a sudden I start looking at the situation, I start looking at the illness that, 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 that lingers. I start looking at the addiction that, that doesn't go away. And I start thinking, you know, Lord, I'm done praying for this. My old nature says, hey, I, I prayed. I prayed for six months. Nothing's happening. Look at them. They're still sick. Look at them. They're, they're still addicted. Look at them. They're still entrenched in sin. I give up. That's what our old nature tells us to do. Jesus says, Peter, I know you're going to fail me. But even as I know this, I'm going to pray for you, that your faith will revive, that you will return to me, and that you will become even stronger than before, that you will use this experience, Peter, to comfort and to strengthen those around you. Not only does Jesus not give up on Peter, but he believes in Peter so much that he believes that Peter will be the one to strengthen and encourage the brothers and sisters of the church. Do you have someone who believes in you that much? You do. It's Jesus. He believes in you that much. At school, my, my son was struggling uh he's been struggling this year in math and a couple different subjects and we've really been working with him working with him working with him and every once in a while uh some of the kids in the class uh, poke a little fun at him because he's got to stick around a little bit longer to complete his math homework and uh he just he told me uh one day he told me one day he says dad i just i'm so discouraged you know my 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 classmates sometimes they make fun of me because it takes me longer to finish the math homework and i looked at him i said bennett it's okay. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe you can do this. And I didn't think much of it. I just kind of affirmed him and walked away. He, t he later told my wife that night, he said, Mom, guess what? She said, what? He said, Dad believes in me. Dad believes in me. I didn't think much of, the, much of the conversation. But when Bennett heard those words, Mom, Dad believes in me. He thinks I can do it. He was so strengthened.
Jesus believes in you. He knows you might fail. There will be times where you will fail. He still believes in you. He still wants you to get up and keep walking. Walking with him. Still, put yourself in Peter's shoes. (laughs) This is hard news to hear. Jesus is showing great care for Peter, great confidence about Peter's future, but one thing certainly haunts Peter. It is that Jesus has just informed him that he will temporarily, temporarily fail Jesus. And those words don't sit well with Peter. And so he goes on to say in verse 33, take a look at what Peter says. He said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter doesn't like hearing what the Lord has said. He refuses to believe that he'll fail. And so he blurts out a passionate but a hasty vow. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, to death. It's a beautiful promise. It's a promise that is in keeping with what God expects from us if we're to truly become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I'm curious if I'm curious if, if we've made this vow. I'm curious if you've made this vow. Ask yourself, have I made this vow? Can I look at, at Peter's vow? Can I make that my own? If not, why not? What is it about your life that is more important to you than this? And to those who have made this promise, good for you. God is well pleased by unwavering loyalty to him. But a word of warning. Make sure your promise is more than just words. When push comes to shove, will you really remain true? Because you see, there is someone in this life who is going to sift through that promise. There is someone who is dead set on making sure he separates you from this vow. He is asking for you, and he is prepared to send your way whatever will cause you to recant on this promise. And he uses, by the way, the same techniques as the farmer. Sometimes all he needs to do is lift you in the air and just winnow your faith and you blow right over. No problem whatsoever, like the chaff. Other times he needs to to beat a little bit harder with the flail. He needs to thresh you like wheat. He needs to pour on sickness upon you. He needs to pour on pain upon you. Harassment upon you, trials upon you, prison, or even death, but he'll still keep flailing and asking for you and sifting you until you break. Are you sure you won't deny Jesus to save yourself from these things? To save a loved one from that same fate? 
We know it's not hypothetical anymore. It really isn't. I'm not speaking hypothetically anymore. I might have been, you know, 10 and 20 years ago, but I'm not speaking hypothetically anymore. It's happening around the world, literally before our eyes. You go to, you go to Iraq, you go to Syria, you go to Nigeria, you go to Libya, and you literally have situations in which Christians are kidnapped. And, and the husband is held, and the wife and, sh- and daughters are off to the side, and they look at him and say, recant your faith, deny Jesus, or we kill them. Real stories happening right now in our world. Deny Jesus now, or you die. Our prayers will not stop for the persecuted church, friends. The persecuted church is under the greatest attack since the time of Jesus Christ. Potentially the the greatest attack in, in human history is now befalling those men and women who fear the Lord. Thank God we live in a country, though, where we currently don't need to face such awful persecution. At least not yet. We've abundantly warned, though, here at Coast, that persecution is it's nigh. It's already here. The threat of imprisonment for expressing views of our faith, it's already upon us. I want to quote from a major uh, 2016 presidential candidate. This is someone who could very likely receive the nomination. This is what he said just a few days ago. He said, we are at the water's edge of the argument that mainstream Christian teaching is hate speech. After they are done going after individuals, the next step is to argue that the teachings of mainstream Christianity or the catechism of the Catholic Church is hate speech. There's a real and present danger. I've been saying this over and over again. Now it's coming from the lips of very, very significant presidential candidates. This is someone who could absolutely win the nomination. I'm not vouching for them. I'm not endorsing them. You can look them up on your own if you'd like. It really matters here nor, neither here nor there. What matters is that there are now significant voices in America who are saying this. And it's true. It's true. This book that we hold, dear, there will be pieces of this book that will one day be labeled as hate speech by our nation. And that those who teach and preach from it, and teach and preach from it with, with accuracy, with, with a simple reading and a simple explanation of what the words say, those same preachers and teachers will be labeled as haters. They will be threatened. They will be fined. They will be jailed. It's already happening in other countries. We must look at Peter's promise, not as a hypothetical anymore. We must look at Peter's promise as something that's, that's real, something that we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to make that vow? Will my promise be more than just words when my government muzzles the freedom I have to express my beliefs? I personally, I identify so much with Peter. I love this story. I look at Peter and I think, yeah, he's passionate I feel like I'm passionate. He's, he's fiercely loyal. That's loyalty is something that I, I completely identify with. I, I, I love 
the quality of being loyal, fiercely loyal to the Lord. But man, just like Peter, just, just for his virtues, I feel like I identify, but then I look at his vices and I go, yep, that's me too. He's impetuous. He's rash. He can be hasty. So I wonder, as I make this vow, am I too underestimating my ability to remain faithful under pressure? As I've said before, pastors, it'll come to the pastors first in this nation. I truly believe that. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine what will happen in churches across this nation when the people look up at their pastors who are being muzzled and being told, you can't preach that and you can't preach that and you can't say that and you can't say that. I can only imagine what will happen across this nation when people look at their pastor, their preacher, and when he bows the knee to the state. When he says, okay, I won't preach on that. I can only imagine what that will do to the faith of many. Many thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands across this nation. And so I wonder... Will my vow be real? Will your vow be real when push comes to shove? It's a watershed moment. I mentioned also AB 775 a couple weeks ago. I want to say it one more time. A bill in California that requires pro-life pregnancy centers to post notices on their windows about free and low-cost options that pregnant women have to get an abortion. Here's the exact quote that you can read that they will be required to post outside their doors, that California has public programs that provide immediate free or low-cost access to comprehensive family planning services, including all FDA-approved methods of contraception, prenatal care, and abortion for eligible women. AB 775, which passed the California Assembly last week, will now, if approved by the Senate and signed by Governor Brown, will require every pro-life pregnancy center to post this in a very large and conspicuous place in their facility for it to be handed out either by by hand or through digital communication that pro-life pregnancy centers will be actively, and beyond that quote, by the way, there's a second quote they need to post, which provides a phone number of where they can call and find out where they can get an abortion. This will become law in a matter of weeks, guaranteed. I sat down with a pro-life um, pregnancy center director in my office the day after this passed the assembly last week. We had a long talk. And finally came the opportunity for me to ask him a question that had been weighing on my heart. I asked him, I said, will your pregnancy center defy the state of California on AB 775 if it is passed? And he was silent. He looked down for a moment. And he pursed his lips. And then he looked up at me with resolute eyes. And he said, yes, we will. And I said, then we will do everything in our power to support and defend you. It's not hypothetical anymore, friends. Peter's promise is not hypothetical. Many will bow the knee to the state. And in doing so, they will betray their witness each time they refer their patients to an abortion clinic. But there will be a few 
whose verbal promise before God will stand the test of time. They won't be impetuous. They won't be rude. They won't be rash. But with grace and with kindness, they will defy our state on this law. And they will pay a great price for it in this life. But it will become a great reward for them in the next. Peter told Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Can you make this vow? Will your vow be more than just words? For Peter, at this point in his life, his vow was just words. Look at verse 34. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even know me. If Satan can sift through Peter, the leader of the disciples, he can sift through you and me. Three times you'll deny me. You'll deny that you even know me, Jesus says. And that's precisely what happens. Take a look at verse 54. Having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at Peter and said, This man, this man was also with him. But Peter denied Jesus, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little while, another saw him and said, You, you also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. A little comment about the word deny there. It's a significant word in Greek. Walter Liefeld writes this. He says, The word deny, arneomai, is used in the New Testament as the polar opposite of the word confess, homologeo. We are to confess, homologeo, acknowledge Christ, but we're supposed to deny ourselves. that is to disown our private interests for the sake of Christ. But Peter here does exactly the opposite. He does the reverse. He denies Christ in order to serve his own interests. Peter does precisely what God, through Christ, has instructed him not to do. We are to confess Christ. Everywhere. Homo logeo is to be the same word. Homo, the same. Logeo, word. The same word that we read in the word is to be on our lips. Confession of Christ. Peter does the exact opposite when push came to shove. Nobody wants to jeopardize their life. Nobody does. No one wants. No one wants to endure the heat of the fire. No one wants a mob around them, pointing at them, threatening them. Peter was desperate to save himself. We would feel the same way. We may, we may know what this feels one day. We may know what this feels like soon. At that moment, though, Peter was unprepared. He cared more about himself than about standing up for what was right. He cared more about himself than he cared about his Lord. And so... He denied him. Just like that. He betrayed the Lord. And the more Peter spoke, the more his accent betrayed him in the eyes of the crowd. Take a look at verse 59. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely, surely this fellow also was with Jesus, for he's a Galilean. They could hear it in his voice. But Peter said, Man, 
I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Upon hearing the third betrayal by Peter, Jesus looked at Peter. Apparently, Peter had been in the courtyard of the high priest's house, and Jesus was, was coming and going uh, from Annas to Caiaphas and, and seeing all sorts of uh, various leaders at the time within the grounds of this large and opulent home. And right as Peter was denying Jesus the third time, Jesus was there, and their eyes met. And Peter knew and remembered Jesus' words and knew that he had failed. On this day, he failed. He was sifted like wheat. Satan temporarily separated Peter from his faithful union with Jesus. Some friends, <clears throat> some, some of our friends and family uh, give up on us when we fail. But our God never gives up on us. And he didn't give up on Peter either. Our God restored Peter. Were we to have time, we would turn to places like John 21. You can write that down. John 21. We would, we would turn to places like Acts 1 and Acts 2 and all throughout the book of Acts in which Jesus restores Peter. He puts him back. Peter runs away, denies him three times, commits truly one of the most heinous sins that you can commit before the Lord, and that is to deny him. And yet Jesus says, I'm not giving up on you. You will depart from me, but I will pray for you. And when you return, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your sisters. God never gives up on him. Peter learned from his error, and he went on to become one of the most strategic and powerful leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is praying for us. He knows we might fail, but he's praying that when we fail, We'll continually use those experiences for good when we remember the error of our ways and return to him. He is looking. Jesus is looking for a few faithful men and women. He's looking for people who will make Peter's vow, but not make it hastily and with an impetuous heart. He's looking for men and women who will make it with resolute eyes who make it with a thoughtful mind and a heart that's ready to endure anything. Are you willing to go to prison or die for your Lord? You will be tempted to deny Jesus. Mark my words. In this life, you will face a day, you may face many days, in which you will be compelled, you will be forced by some hand to deny your Lord or suffer significant consequences. You will be sifted. The sifting process, the sifting, the sifting has begun. Will your faith blow away with the chaff or is your faith weighty enough to withstand the threshing and the winnowing of the enemy? Faithfulness, coast. 
we will be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, our passionate side, our, our rash and jubilant side wants to look upon Peter's vow and say, yes, sign me up. And then we look at what happened to the leader of the disciples. And we wonder, Lord, can we still make that vow? We want to make that vow, Lord. I am desperate, Lord, that that I can make that vow. I'm desperate that our church would make that vow. That were I to ask, Lord, for a, a raising of the hands of those who would go to prison or to death for your namesake, God, I would be desperate to see every hand raised in this room. We want to make that vow, Lord. But we're asking you, God, would you help us, help us make those, that promise more than just words. We know that the sifting has come. It is already here. The wind is already blowing. The flails are already beating. And Lord, we're, we're, we're readying ourselves for what is ahead. Would you help us to make our vow a reality? When the persecution comes, God, let us never deny the name of Jesus Christ. Let us stand boldly for him, always, even to death, just as Jesus died for us. In his name we pray, amen.